this is an awesome place, but a building is no more a church. It, it no more makes you a church to have a building than living next door to somebody makes you a neighbor. So let that settle in for just a moment. Think about what, what, what I just said. Is it up there? Yeah, a building doesn't make you a church any more than living next door to someone makes you a neighbor. Just because you have a kid doesn't make you a daddy. Just because you know somebody, it doesn't make you a friend. And just because you live in a neighborhood, it doesn't make you a neighbor. But I believe, I believe that there is more about being a neighbor that connects to being a church than maybe anything else. It, being a church is less about hanging a banner because really that's how we made this a church today. We hung a banner, we set up a sound system and those kinds of things. But hanging a banner does not make you a church. It has less to do with hanging a banner and more to do with being a neighbor. Okay, so there, that's my premise today. Uh, the next, next slide for me, Tommy, there is, is that being a church has less to do with hanging a banner and more to do with being a neighbor. I mean, all the other things, and I'm going to run through some of those in this message today, but all those other things that we think constitute making us a church or individually constitute making us a Christian, it has so much less to do with that and so much more to do with just being a neighbor. Okay, so here, here are you three scriptures I'm going to give you. And I've got a lot of scriptures to give you today. And I crossed out a bunch of them. And if you want the rest of them, let me know and I'll text them to you. I'll show you. There are a whole lot of them that talk about this as, as what I believe God's laid on my heart as a premise to give to you today. That it's about being a neighbor more than about a whole lot of other things. And this was Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. And, and Jesus is being questioned or quizzed, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, the guy only asked for one, but Jesus gave him two. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he explains, and he says, all the law and the prophets. Now, this is before the New Testament was written. Jesus is alive. New Testament is, being, is going to be written after Jesus dies. It's kind of happening right now, but it's, it's going to be, uh, while he's alive, but it's going to be written after he dies. And so all they have is the law and the prophets. And Jesus said, everything about the law and everything about the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I'll say this also, is that you cannot really have the first. You cannot fulfill the first without also fulfilling the second. You know, because if you love the Lord your God with everything you've got within you and all that you are, then you're going to fulfill the second. You can't, you can't help but fulfill the second to love your neighbor as yourself if you really, really love God with everything in you because that's the calling that he's given us. He's given us his calling to be a neighbor and to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and, and it's where many times we say, God, just tell me one good thing to do today. He said, no, let me tell you two. Yeah, that's kind of what he's doing with this guy. This guy says, tell me the, the one greatest. And Jesus said, I can't break them up. Because if you love God with everything you've got, you're going to love your neighbors yourself because that's what he's called you to do. That's what Jesus is saying here. I can't break these two up. They're a set. You know, you want to love God, you got to love your neighbor too. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. You, you, you just can't do it. And some people say, well, you can't love your neighbor without loving God. That, sometimes that's true also, isn't it? Sometimes you need to love God. You need to love God so you can love your neighbor. But you cannot love God unless you truly love your neighbor. 
another verse for you. And this is in the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry, in, um, say, um, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 14. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So again, this is referring back to this is where Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And he's referring back to the words of Jesus. Everything can be summed up in this. All the law and everything you do. And so when you're, when you're trying to fulfill and do all the things God has called us to do, that you, you know, a lot of people think the Bible's just a, a, a list of all the do's and all the don'ts. And if you're trying to fulfill all these, just understand, if you'll just love God and love your neighbor, you'll start getting all these things right. And then 2 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is, this is kind of, we talk about it being kind of late in Christianity in the writings of the Bible. And John writes, I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. You see, this one has been here. This is not something new. And so some people say, well, that's, that's Old Testament, talking about the law and the prophets. Yeah, but Jesus, he reminds us, hey, this one's still in effect. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm fulfilling the law. And John says, let me remind you that we should love one another. And this is a command that we have had from the very beginning. And so we must love our neighbor. So what is love? Okay, now uh, around Valentine's and if you've ever come to a, a, you know, a couple's or a, a marriage small group that Dave and I have taught, you've heard us talk about what love is. And love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Okay? Saying that love is a feeling or an emotion or, or, or believing that in yourself is basically equating love to hormones. You know, how you feel today. You know, sometimes you, know, sometimes you, you have those teenage or 20-something hormones, you know, and you, you feel this or you feel that, or sometimes, you know, you got those hormones that, you know, a little later in life that make you feel something totally different, you know, and you don't, you know, and so love kind of ebbs and flows and ups and downs and through all that's, when you say love is a feeling or an emotion, you're equating it to just hormones and just, you know, what's going on in your body. Love is not that. Love is a, thank you, choice. I knew somebody, somebody ought to remember that, right? Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Our, our family uh, has, has some fam have some friends close to them that just a few weeks after they were married, just uh, maybe, probably not even two years ago, just a few weeks after they were married, the groom, the young man, fell and injured himself and, is, and has been paralyzed and actually didn't think they were going to make it forever. Lots of the family and friends were, were all like, oh, this is horrible, it's horrible, and this is how bad this is going to be for him and everything and everything. But, but the wife, I mean, she, the wife, she's just, she's just absolutely been sickening. She's been sickening with her rose-colored glasses attitude. But when I look and I see, the, I see the results and I see the reports of Facebook of, uh, of the progress that he makes, you know, and, and I realize if it weren't for her, getting up every morning and saying, I know what the world says about you, but you're my husband. And this is what God says about you. And believing and choosing to love him and choosing to love him back through this. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where you'd be today. And I still look at this and say, man, he's still got a long way to go. But every day she gets up and she chooses that today I'm going to love him and today is going to be a little bit better than yesterday. And it is. It seems like every day it just gets a little bit better, at least to hear her tell it. You know, maybe we need her just writing, uh, you know, writing our diaries as well. And maybe things would look a little better in our lives also, right? So, so let's, let's talk about what love is. And here we've got, I've got three more scripture passages for you. Matthew chapter 25, this is verse 34 to 36. Let's talk about the end of times. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. You may have heard this scripture before. But let's think about what is Jesus talking about here? He is talking about, he is, he, he is kind of giving us qualifications for inheriting the kingdom of God that is to come. And what are they? Attending church. That's important, but it ain't up there. <laughs> you know? Paying your tithes. That's important, but it ain't up there. You know? It's not up there. All the stuff that we do. No, what is it? Uh, being, being holy, yeah, now that's important, but, but what is Jesus talking about? Because they're all connected is what's happening here. But he's saying, if, if you're really who you say you are, he says, you're going to do something. It's the acts of love that, quali- that are the qualification is what Jesus is looking for, how he qualifies those who will inherit the kingdom of God. That, you, know, that you, you feed those who are hungry and that you give drink to those who are thirsty. That you visit those who are in need and that you're, you're it, it's, it's the acts of love that Jesus uses as these are the ones that are going to inherit the kingdom of God one day. And now on to the, I think of uh, Isaiah, is that, yeah, here's Isaiah chapter 58 now. Here's, and here's the time, uh, I really wanted to bring this one to you because this is really a, 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 a really a religious moment in, in Israel. You know, they've got some problems and, and situations. And they've begun to pray and fast and seek after God. And, and, and I, I don't know if you know what fasting is. Fasting is basically saying, look, I want God more than I want food today. I need to hear something from God more than I need to eat today. I need an answer more than I need to eat lunch. You know, uh, I've got a friend who's got a great need, and God, I'm coming to you on their behalf, and I'm praying, I'm praying during my lunch hour instead of eating because I want them to, to have their answer more than I want to eat lunch. That's, that's, that's what fasting is. And so they were fasting, but they were doing it, and they were, I mean, they were just bragging on themselves. They were talking about how great their fasting was. God said, you ain't really fasting. It's not the fast I've chosen. Here's the fast he says he chooses. He says, free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. You listening? Employee, employers, let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Isn't that a weird one to be thrown there on the end of that? <laughs> you know, don't hide from your relatives who need help. But maybe somebody needed to hear that today. I don't know. You hiding from your relatives? Isn't that, that's a weird one to throw on there. But look at, look at, this is what God is saying. He's saying, all this stuff you do that... You do it and you say, oh, look how holy I am. God says, that ain't it. You know, you can't proclaim yourself to be holy. Show me your holiness, God says. You can't proclaim yourself to be a loving neighbor, a loving person. Show me your love, God says. It's the acts of love is what God calls us to do. Because you, you can't truly love somebody without stepping into their life and doing something to fix the problems that are in their life. You can't sit back and look and say, I love you, and, and, and watch their life fall apart. You got to step in. You got to do some. One last passage here under love. Uh, uh, love is in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Oh, how did Jesus love me? That's how I'm supposed to love each other? Everybody else? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do people know that we're his disciples? By showing up at 8 o'clock and setting up the Civic Center so we can have church today? Uh, 
Come on, all you Marthas, I'm sorry. Uh, Martha, that, that was Lazarus's sister, the one who thought, you know, she was getting close to God by all the stuff she would do. You know, I'm going to do all this and do all this. And, I'm sorry, Martha. Jesus didn't say because of all your volunteering and all your hard work, that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. That's important. Volunteering is important, man. You know, we'd be sitting in just a big empty room right now, you know, uh, singing Kumbaya. Maybe somebody remembered to bring a guitar. If, if we didn't have a lot of volunteers today, there would not be a kid's church across the hall if we didn't have volunteers today. There wouldn't be these things happening. That, but that's not how he said people will know you are my disciples. Is it, oh, I know it's because of the worship, right? Right? Because, oh, we know those are, no, 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 Mary, I'm sorry. Mary, that's the other sister of Lazarus. And she, she thought that, you know, she was getting close to God because, you know, she was just loving on him and loving on him. Love. Jesus didn't say, people will know you're my disciples because of the way you worship me, the way you just fall in love with me. And I'm sorry, Marys, it's not that either. And, and uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I look there, and this last song we're going to do in just a few moments when we close this service, I am looking forward to it when I heard them practicing it this morning. I'm so looking forward to this song. But it's not about worship either. He said, the way people will know you are my disciples is your love for one another. And the only way they will know your love is what? Because of your actions. They can't look into your heart. They can only see what your hands do. Love one another. And by your acts of love, people will know that you belong to Jesus. One point before I get to a last and final point, we go on, uh, Tommy, to my next slide, is, uh, you know, who is it, think about who is it in your neighborhood that needs you this week, okay? And I'm throwing this at you because I, I want you to start thinking. And look at these verses just real quickly with me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those of the family of faith. And, and, and I don't, I'm not saying strike that last phrase, but don't even think about that right now. But he says especially, but back up, he says to everyone. When we have the opportunity. So you know what that tells? That tells me we're supposed to be looking for opportunity. We're not supposed to wait for the pastor to call up and say, hey, you know, here, I got an opportunity that somebody needs to feel. The winners, we're supposed to be looking for opportunity. We come out the front door of our house. We're supposed to be looking at, for opportunity. We're driving down the street. We're supposed to be looking for opportunity. We, when we get to work or we get to school, we're supposed to be looking for opportunity. And, and I wonder how many of us this past week, if we were to add them all up, how many opportunities we just flat missed. We just didn't see we just didn't get. But he says, as you have opportunity. So, so wake up. Come on, we've got to start looking for the opportunity. We've got to start looking for the one that needs some help. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Think of ways. That's one of the things I want to do with you. I'm, I'm thinking of ways. I'm trying to figure out how to motivate you to love. And not just love, but love in action, good works, which one of them is these. You know, if you don't have any, put some in your pocket and let God speak to you, the opportunity. It's a touch card. It just says you've been touched. You've been touched by a member or an attender of Church 2911, you know, and touch somebody this week. You know, and, you know buying, their, buying someone's lunch, the person behind you in, in the Jack's drive-thru or, or their breakfast that morning, and just buying it and say, hey, would you give this to them? Let them know this, this was God working through me for them. And, Find ways, but you can't find ways to do that unless you're also doing it as well. Think about it. Think about ways that you can motivate one another to do good things. You know, have, have lunch with somebody and say, hey, how can we do some things? Think, think about it ways. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, don't forget, to show, don't forget to show hospitality. Don't forget to do this. Make sure 
you know, we forget so many things, don't we? I mean, we're so busy, aren't we? But don't forget to show hospitality, even to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. I don't know exactly what that means. I know, I, I know the, the traditional thought that is here about exactly what that means. But I do know, here, here's something that I know what he's saying is, don't forget to do this because you have no idea what good may come out of you showing hospitality. You have no idea what blessings may be there just waiting if you'll be looking for the opportunity and step in and do it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. On this Memorial Day weekend, this Sunday, the day before Memorial Day, it is so easy to just, oh, that's a, pastor, don't show that video ever again. That just, that just breaks my heart too much. That says remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. You, maybe we need to watch that video again and, and imagine that was our daughter. And we were the ones who were killed and, and realized she grew up without us. We need to remember those who were in prison. And, you know, and, and those days are really thinking about some, like, Christians that were thrown in prison. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Even those who were thrown in prison for crimes, we need to remember them as if we were there ourselves and say, what if I were there? What would I need today? And, and remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. You see, this, this is really what love is, and this is what love looks like. Two more verses real quick. Let's go, Tommy, so I can get through these. If you, uh, Ephesians 4, 28, if you were a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, okay? Now, that's for thieves, right? But there's another phrase at the end of that that I think is for every one of us. You know, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Why do you work? Make a living. You know, why do you work? Pay my bills. This is, this, this, is, this is revolutionary that God says, earn, work hard so that you've got something to share. I, I, I had, I had a, a man in my life that uh, has been gone now for several years, uh, my father-in-law. He's lovingly called Papa Dimp in the family. And he loved having a garden. If he could physically, until he was physically unable, he wanted to have a garden. He had a garden. You know, you know, you know the greatest joy he got out of a garden was taking something from his garden to give to you. That was, so, you know, every, every, I can just imagine, you know, when he was working that garden and we just pulling weeds. I've seen him, you know, down, down like, you know, squatted down and pulling weeds and, and you know, and he's thinking, what's he thinking? He's not thinking, oh, curse these weeds. And I don't know. He's thinking, man, I'm going to have some good turnip grains to give to somebody. That's what he was thinking. Isn't it a revolutionary thought that, wait a minute, maybe God wants us to look beyond ourselves and, and yeah, don't just make money so you can spend it and waste it on yourself, but make money so you've got something to help someone else with. Because to go back to that other verse just a moment ago, remember those who are in need like those who are in prison or those who are in pain as if it was you yourself. Wouldn't you want somebody else who had the opportunity to do better in life to help you through your rough spot as well? And, and Luke chapter 3, verse 11, John, John, this is John the Baptist replying. He says, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. You know why that sounds so crazy? Because it's the total opposite of our culture and our society here in the United States of America. That if I've got two shirts, good. You know, I only have to do laundry every other day. But instead, he says, let me give you a revolutionary thought. 
If you have two and someone near you has none, give one to the one who has none. That's revolutionary. But it's all the way back to the time of Christ. So it's not that new. It's just that you and I haven't been living that way. You see, being a neighbor is not a checklist. It is a way of living your life. You don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I need to do a couple of good things today so, you know, I get, get God off my back. I, I, I got some needs I've been praying about, you know, but uh, God probably wants me to do something nice for somebody. I've got to do a couple of good, good deeds today. And then being a neighbor, if you're doing it for that reason, you're never going to learn how to be a neighbor. Being a neighbor is about a way of living, living your life. That it eventually becomes natural. And it should be natural because the one who gave everything for us then says, now go do something good for someone else. See, let, let me tell you some things you probably don't know about your neighbor. And, and we're closing after this. Your neighbor's a lot like you. They're not as different as you think. The, the, the first thing that you need to know about your neighbor is that they want watchful neighbors. 56% of them say, I want somebody who's watching out for my house. And if they see somebody, you know, if they see somebody show up, you know, or they see something, or, or if, if they see a problem, I want them to, you know, lend a hand. You know, and, and, and let me tell you something. Here's, here's what a lot of people do. If you ask somebody, can I help you? They'll say, no, 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 I got it. Don't ask. Just help, <laughs> you know. You know, a lady going up her steps and she, you know, the bags start tearing. She's taking all of her groceries in. The bag, bags start tearing. She's got two kids, you know, one hanging on to each, you know, and the, and the, and the groceries are rolling down the steps. Don't, don't say, uh, could you use a hand? No, don't, don't ask the question. Just go help. That's what they want. 56% actually said, I want watchful neighbors who then p jump in and give a hand. Uh, what's the next one? C concerned about the future. Three-fourths of your neighbors say they're concerned about the future. You know what this stat tells me? Is that one out of every four of your neighbors is lying. Because we're all concerned about the future. We're concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow. I hope. I mean, you know, uh, you know, unless you're like my son when he was a teenager and the only thing he was worried about in the future was what cereal he was going to have tomorrow morning, you know. Uh, maybe you weren't too worried about it, but uh, we're all concerned about that. Everyone is concerned about the future. So the worries you have, the worries I have. They're kind of across the board throughout the neighborhood. I think the next one is, is when people were asked to describe, uh, pick a word to describe themselves, a lot of people, I think they could pick several words, and 50% and picked happiness. Okay, now think about it with me right here for just a moment. Think about your, you, you, where you live, in your house, or, uh, you know, or, or your condo, or townhome, whatever it is you live in, and think about your closest neighbor to the right, your closest neighbor to the left, and think about them. One of those would not use the word happy to describe themselves. I know you drive by and you say, oh man, he's out in the yard doing something or, you know, they're playing, they look like they got smiles on. But deep inside, when they're filling out the survey and nobody knows and because their name's not on it and they can really say they would not check that I'm happy. So on one side of you, probably on one side of the other of you is somebody that says they're not happy. And, and then the next one is uh, too busy. Okay, L look to the person to the left of you and to the right of you right now. Okay, you got one person on the left, one person on the right. Look, look to those people. Okay, of the three of you, guess what? One of you is too busy. Which one is it? 
Who, who, are you? who are you? Who are you too busy? Are y'all going to fight over it now? No, it's me. It's not you. I'm the one that's too busy, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, I see most of the action down here with these, with these singles right here, you know, these single adults. Like, they're the ones that are too busy, you know, and what we always tell them, right? So just wait till you get married. Wait till you get kids. Wait till you, you know, but, but we all kind of a lot of times think we're too busy. And, and, and then the next one says the stress level. Just about the same number, right? Probably the same people. The same people that are too busy are the people that's too stressed, right? A lot of times that's the way it goes, hand in hand. And then the next one, 16% say they carry a, a severe or, or serious debt load. That is one in six. Out of every six people, one of them said, I carry a heavy, serious debt load. One out of six. In your neighborhood, look around. You say, well, no, look at the house next to me. I, they, they got all kinds of money. And maybe that's where their heavy debt load is coming in. Sometimes we haven't got a clue as to what's really going on in somebody's life because we think everything, man, they're smiling on all the pictures they have on Facebook, but they wouldn't check happy. They've got more than enough stuff to make anybody happy. They've got all the stuff, but they say, I'm under a, a serious, severe debt load. All of those things. What, what, what's the next one? Struggling. Think about this for just a minute. Forty percent, when asked, pick some words that describe you. Forty percent picked struggling. Your neighbors are struggling. They look like they've got it all together. You ask and they say, no, I don't need any help. Forty percent of them choose the word struggling to describe themselves, among other words. They're probably not... Not any of them say, I'm happy, but I'm struggling. 40% of them say they're struggling. And so, so, so when, we, when we look around and we, we think, well, nobody needs my help, 40% are struggling today, and 20% say they're lonely. 20% say they're lonely. And, and, you know, and I think that number is probably higher than that. It's just we, 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 we probably define loneliness in different terms, some of us. Here's one of the reasons that I, I think it's higher than that is because 37% actually said one of the goals they have is they want to make new friends. Okay? Now, wait a minute. If I'm not lonely, why do I need friends? I think it's higher than that. And guess what the number is for your age and your teenagers? For the millennials, those that want to make new friends need to make, I, I, I need some friends in my life. You know what the number is? 47%. About half of you guys say, I need some friends. And it's not that I don't have people around me, because remember, just because you know somebody doesn't make you a friend. It's not that I've got, I don't have people around me. I need some friends. You know what a friend is, right? It's more than an acquaintance. It's someone that you can count on. It's someone that is there. This is your neighbors. These are your neighbors. This is what they look like. This is their picture. This is what they say about themselves when it's anonymous and they can be real. And they don't have to put on airs on Sunday morning or in front of everybody else at the park or at whatever theater or show that they go to and they don't have to put on something. This is who they really are. They need us. They need you. And God has called you to be there for these lonely, struggling, stressed out, too busy, 
under the heavy loads of life, people right there in your neighborhoods. And it is the vision of this church to be that. And that's why I believe God called me to share this message with you today. It's to remind you, we are not about a building. We're about the people around us that are hurting. So just before I ask you to stand, and I want to pray over you, I want to ask you this question on screen, next slide up here. What's it going to look like? What is it going to look like when you truly become a neighbor? And I think the reason I need to ask you that question is because you need to think about what this is going to, what, what is it going to look like? How am I going to walk out the door different? Or what am I going to start looking for in my neighborhood? Or how am I going to start doing it? What's it going to look like? And I want to pray that God starts opening your eyes to see all these struggling, hurting, desperate people around you. Stand with me, will you?